afternoon, you are listening to Don Land Signals on WERU-FM. Don Land Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. We explore topics such as restorative justice, restorative practices, decolonization, cultural revival, and more. Our guests are people involved in aspects of truth, healing, and change work. This program is offered in an effort to share, inspire, and inform. Dawnland Signals is a collaboration of Wabanaki Reach and WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard. Good afternoon. I am your co-host, Esther Ann. Um, it's hard to believe that we have recorded 20 shows already. This is our 21st show. We started at the very beginning of the pandemic, and we've um, had to have virtual visits with people. And in those months, we've had um, Wabanaki and Maine writers, activists, language keepers, Wabanaki elders, singers, drummers, and scholars. And today, to round out um, the year, we're talking with poets. The short, cold days of the winter season, although it was raining uh, <clears throat> earlier, um, provide a perfect opportunity for us to curl up on the sofa with a cup of tea or cocoa and a book of poetry that either speaks to you or moves you or makes you smile. We've been looking forward to the show uh, for a few months since we had the idea, and we're so pleased to have as our guest today two main poets, Miku Paul, Malisee, and Penthea Burns, uh, Wabanaki Reach Board Co-Chair. We will talk with them today to learn how they came to find meaning in writing poetry, how they have used poetry to build community, and what poets inspire them. Hopefully they will each recite some of their own poems. But before we hear from our guests, um, Maria will help, take, help us take some time to appreciate the land. Thank you, Esther. Yeah, before we dive into the the poetry reading and the conversation, I'm really looking forward to it as well. Let's just take a moment to acknowledge the land beneath our feet, Wabanaki, the land of the first light, the dawn land, land that has known Wabanaki ancestors, the tallest trees and the oldest rivers, land that has known peace, and conflict, land that has nourished us and sustained us since time immemorial. We acknowledge the indigenous peoples of this land, Wabanaki, the Passamaquoddy, Penobscot, Mi'kmaq, Maliseet, and Abenaki, and we give thanks to your stewardship and resilience. Nadalnabamnawak, all my relations. We are broadcasting from WERU studio in Blue Hill, Alamusik, Wabanaki. You only won Maria. So I'm so excited. Um, we just had Miko on the show a couple months ago, and uh, we've had Penn on the show last summer, I think, Penn, yeah, over a year ago, maybe. So um, they're veterans. It's so cool. We already have veteran guests. <laughs> um, so I'm excited. Miko, why don't you start and just, um, you know, tell introduce yourself how, how you want want to and just start talking about your, your beautiful poetry. Um, okay, sure. Uh, my name is Miku Paul, and I grew up at Penobscot. 
My family uh, originally from Lower Canada, uh, King's Clear First Nations. My granddad and mother raised me, and I did schools, white public schools in Old Town and college throughout Maine. I, I actually have always written, but um, I didn't really formalize that um, probably until I was an undergraduate student at USM many years later and a grown woman. But the first writing I did, I was at 16 and submitted to my English teacher for extra credit. Um, and I hadn't been going to college, but I got diverted after meeting my requirements as a junior. My mother wouldn't let me graduate high school early. Um, and so they diverted me into academic courses so I would qualify to uh, go to college. And I was assisted by the tuition waiver, which was a very big uh, event in my life. It was very impactful. I really think that um, everybody has a different path they take toward becoming a writer. But when we look at the, that, for example, Morgan Talty, uh, run a, a main literary award recently with his fiction. He's, I believe, Penobscot. Uh, we see what can happen when Indigenous writers get the appropriate support that they need um, institutionally and to get a, a writerly education. So I'm down here in Portland, still writing and making art, and I love what I do. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to doing in the, this uh, phase of my life. I'm going to be 63 in two days. So Ooh. I'm on a lot of other activities so that I can focus solely on my creative work. Well, happy birthday, Miko. And we are so appreciative that of your work and, and glad that you're still, still doing it. Um, Panthea, what about you? Thanks. Uh, in two months, I'll be 63, Miku, and I have that same dream of like being able to create more space in my life to um, give the kind of attention um, to um, to creative connections. So I, I was I delighted in hearing you say that. Um, I grew up in. Um, Hi, everybody. I'm Penthia Burns. I uh, work at the University of Southern Maine uh, by day, and I'm on the board of directors for REACH, um, and I've been part of REACH for a bit now. Um, I grew up in uh, the Bangor area in Penobscot Territory, uh, and um, I was thinking about the question of uh, how I came to poetry, how I came to write poetry, and um my, I think my mom would be one of my first uh, ones that inspired, like she grew up having to memorize poetry as part of her own learning. And she was always, and still to this day, she's 92 now, almost 92. And, um, and still to this day, just is reciting poetry. This, you know, um, the same ones that I remember from my childhood, you know, like at the, at that opportune moment, it's almost like you, um, expect that to, to come. And so part of what I got was this love of 
language and creation and playfulness and fun from my family experience that I think was um, some of the early seeds for me in terms of wanting to find ways to express myself, whether it was uh, just word games or, or, or things like that, that it just, I think it really nourished that in me. And then um, I think it was probably in high school as well when some um, course assignment led to me having to submit some some poetry and got some kind of encouragement um, that made me want to pursue that um, more. Um, and for me, um, I think poetry was a way to express things that were not as easy, just plain old conversationally that I had time to sort of cultivate it and come to understand what it was I wanted to express. And so um, that was, was part of that over time. Um, so, um, and in my, in my later years, it just has sort of deepened and the way that I think about it has, has grown. And um, the pandemic actually, in some ways, you'd think that it would create more space for poetry, but in terms of having like being more home grounded, but it, uh, it's really been, uh, it's been more of a challenge in ways that I'd be curious what that's like for, for you too, Miku, uh, in terms of having, um, the, that kind of habit space for, um, for giving to writing. So those are just some of my first thoughts about how I came to poetry. How's the pandemic been for you, Miku, in terms of uh, creating? I'm curious as well. Well, um, because I'm older, and I became concerned about maintaining safety, so I, I became even more of a homebody than before. And uh, so it gets a little lonesome. But what I did find is that over time, it, you don't instantly go, well, I've got a three or four hour block afternoon. I'll go and paint this. I'll go and write this. It happens sort of slowly, um, at least. And my process, I typically my best work comes out of a thought or an idea uh, that I begin to feel strongly about, a feeling about, an emotion about. Uh, so over time, having that space, it had been so long I'd had that kind of free time. I entered into more deeply ideas I'd been bouncing around in my head. And so I got back to work on the new water manuscript, but also I just started getting offers from different organizations. I just finished, for example, three poems for Nick Frass's travel exhibit in Canada called Atlantic Vernacular. And they were really terrific. I got to have an indigenous artist, Megan Mousseau, out of Newfoundland. And so you're writing in response to someone else's artistic works. And that sort of assignment also kind of galvanizes me because it gives me fresh ideas that 
I didn't come up with myself. Rural uh, Books uh, is an, an imprint's been around for a while here in Portland uh, with Agnes Bouchelle and others and a call for work from them. So uh, during the pandemic, I actually, we call them singles when you're out of old man. But I've actually still, you know, been getting published with singles. The literal books put out two anthologies, and one was protest poetry, and the other was about the pandemic. And I found myself writing a poem. Um, so that was really, it was very interesting. And I find it soothing. It, it's a relief for me to put aside my worries and focus on something as wonderful as creative work. So it gives one some respite act. Very nice. I wondered um, if one of you would like to um, go ahead and share one of your um, poems or pieces of work. Let's delve into the into the meat. Sometimes the sound is our sound is clicking out, so maybe we could shut off our video so that we can hear um, each other. I know I I clicked out a couple times. Good idea. Miku, would you like to go first and share? And do you, are you prepared to? Yeah, sure. Okay. I've, I've got a nice one here, which is. Um, it's actually, I do sometimes, as you know, work in formalisms. I love the idea of taking a so Western canon formal structure of poetry uh, that arrived here with Onas and putting my own content into it. I really feel it's somewhat of a subversive act to do And... So one of my projects is called The Courtship of Proteus. Can you, can you shut your video off before you start reciting so your yes. bandwidth will support you? Um, and this is a Spenserian sonnet. Uh, it has 14 lines, and uh, Proteus was the god of change and transformation. So this project is really all around taking... Uh, characters from mythology and putting them into a poem or a circumstance and creating a, a formalized work, uh, with, with that content. So here we go. This is sonnet number one. Last night I heard the wood frogs urgent call. Awakened by the lonely winter's dying. A song of love and need when in its thrall, as nature in us, heeds and wants replying. The year turns swiftly now that I am riding seasons measured short in time's mad flight. Relentless in her cruel demand for tithing. Still summons springs. Sweet and shy green light. Estra 
strides in reckless with her might and showers us with impetuous hope. She invokes warmth and music in the night, awakening all Earth's children to dote on the immortal symphony of sound and know that Proteus is prowling round. I loved it. And I loved that Esther's in it. <laughs> I know I was. <laughs> that was beautiful, Miko. It was. I, I enjoyed it very much. I, I love to close my eyes and when people recite poetry. I find that's uh, an easier way. It, it helps me listen to it more with more of my being than just uh, my ears. I love that. Panthea, do you have anything you particularly want to share this morning? Um, sure. I'm trying to think about, um, I, I just really appreciated um, that reading that you just did, Miku, and um, and the way that you introduced it in terms of using a classic form and having it be sort of an uh, uh, act of resistance. And so much gratitude for that. Um, so I, it's interesting for me. Um, I start often write poetries. I start with like some kind of just sensory observation is really where I, um, I find myself starting and I don't really always know where it's going to go. Um, and so I'm going to share this one, um, that is an example of that, that like literally I was sitting in my living room and um, saw a family of robins underneath the maple tree and in, in the yard in front of my home. And uh, I started there and where it went um, in some ways was sort of surprising to, to me. Um, and so let me just read this to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's called A Family of Robins. A family of robins, an adult pair and two juveniles, explore the grassy yard in front of my house. Shaded by the maple tree, living from this land, taking what they need. For much of my life, I underestimated robins. And then I learned their song, lyrical and more beautifully complex than I would have judged. I just don't sing like that. The lyrics and verse that we humans have lived by authorized us in our taking what we desired. Control of this colony, this earth. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Who is us? The mystical powers of creation? 
forces of conception and being or some small man writing to justify dominion and taking some small man who lost what the robin knows about sustenance living pausing to sing we misunderstand our mandate or we've been misled Would the powers that made a robin sing like that grant dominion? Like some greedy old man with a glint in his eyes, passing out dominance to grabbing hands, seeking profit and more profit by blowing off mountaintops, damming rivers, owning water, poisoning honeybees, polluting air, leaving animals to die on the road's shoulder. We continue on our way, finishing with earth. We look to take the heavens next. I want to understand how we lost our likeness to the creation energy of this universe in rhythm with the earth seeking sustenance and balance, indigenous to land and wind and water, reciprocity between me and beings who inhabit this space. I am certain that the powers of the universe intended to grant us not dominion, but responsibility, creation, love and regard for the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, livestock, every creeping thing, and all the earth. Thanks. Thank you. I loved that. And I was just imagining your your thought process going through and and putting these down, um, you know, into such thought-provoking, what do you call them in poems? Are they lyrics? They're not lyrics. Stanzas? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. The, what are they? They're just lines, Maria. But okay. it, it can depend on if the lines, we're not looking at the poem, so the lines can be organized into pairs called couplets, into stanzas, and a stanza can have uh, three lines, four lines, eight lines. Stanzas can be varying lengths. Uh, so stylistically, uh, oftentimes that's, that's part of the impact of the poem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I have to mention, uh, and I want to say this to you, Pentheia, that was so beautiful. It is not easy, folks, to begin with an idea or image and move into deeper territory. And that's what we're all looking for, that deeper territory. Mm. When you shift your topic, but you do it deftly as a writer, that's called a turn. And so I, I listened, and immediately Panthea had a turn for much of my life. So we moved from a, a simple, strong imagery to... Now, 
the self-reflection. And then we move into territories of ideas about living, about values, about morality even, taking what we desired. And then into the environmental dominion over the fishes and the birds. And then a question is a wonderful technique because you then reflect something back at the reader and ask them directly to engage with your poem. And I just think, Penthia, that poem has an awful lot in a small package. It's a great poem. Mm, Thank you. I always love listening to you talk about poetry, Miku, in addition to, you know, hearing your readings of your own work um, that you, um, I just feel like I learn something and have some really specific memories of times when I've heard you talk about poetry before. So that was beautiful to hear you just say what you described. Let me um, just interject this uh, brief station identification. You are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU-FM. I am your co-host, Maria Gerard, along with co-host Esther Ann. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. And today, we are kicking back and celebrating our 21st um, show, recorded show, and we have with us as guests Miku Paul and Penthea Burns, both both um, poets, uh, and we're sharing uh, poetry pieces. And Miku, you were just talking about the different parts of a, a poem, and I just wanted to echo what Penthea said that I really appreciate your knowledge and how you can teach us about these pieces. And I think probably the first time that I met you was in a writing workshop. And um, I just got so much from that. And I keep um, hoping that sometime down the road, perhaps we can do that again. I think I've been in two writing workshops with you. I really just appreciate your knowledge so much. Thank you. Uh, And I know that um, Esther has a poet in her life, and um, she brought some uh, work share. So let me hand it over to you, Esther. Sure. Um, As I was listening to Miku um, talk about how poems are constructed and how a lot of it depends on style, now I'm kind of nervous about reading this because I don't know. I wonder if if somebody else reads a poem, if it's read the same way the poet reads it, you know, because of the way it's, you described how it's constructed. So I'm going to read this poem um, that Miku knows because um, it was published in the Donland Voices latest um, online edition last year or the year before. Um, it's written by my mother, Mary Bassett. She passed away three years ago and she, she was a wonderful writer and she always, she had this, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say love-hate relationship, but she had this, she wanted her things published, but she didn't. But she did, but she didn't. And it was like this constant um, battle for her. And towards the end of her life, she really decided she wanted to publish her writing. She, she's a poet. She's written screenplays. She's written short stories. Um, so I, after she, you know, <clears throat> she, she passed away, she had dementia. So towards the end of her life, it was hard to, to do that with her. So after she passed, we, 
uh, published two of her poems in the Dawnland Voices. So this is one of them. It's called Split Rock. Oh, I know that poem. It was uh, originally published in the Quaddy Tides, the newspaper in Eastport, Maine, next to um, Pleasant Point, where, where my mother grew up and lived her whole life. It was published in July 1977, uh, right around the time of the Maine Indian land claims. Um, controversy or whatever was happening then. And then it was republished in July 2007. And Split Rock is a beautiful rock in Zibayag, uh, in our community at Pleasant Point. So I'm going to try to do this justice. Um, <clears throat> here we go. It's a little bit long. Split Rock, your solitude is broken. Now our children play in fields of clay, money taken and not a word is spoken. The land and green is left in array, a tragic loss unseen of mud and machine, manned by those who are different, think that progress is sufficient. Amid the dirge of money spent, do they not know that not one cent is worth defacing of our mother? Episodes turn brother against brother, cool breezes amid where gulls would sing, all brought down by those who think everything can be measured by the building and still more, another wielding. Dare you to mouth another course? I'll look at you and thing you course. Dare you but one speak of what be done. Your values are not of comprehending. Support, yes, praise is what you should be lending to those our learned public servants who must be paid for their kind service. Platitudes or praise, where is your honor as you sit and ponder? Is there not another that kindly love and ever cherish all these dear things which they must also perish? Children play upon my rock Folks that come to sit by me as they wonder at my destiny. Will I become as many pebbles on the beach? Or all these important things yet out of reach? 100 acres is not enough. The land case not one grain will give. What has once been our everything. Invaders to our race from within and without where to flee to really be, but alone, if in misery. For deeds untold were never spoken. We are all but a trifle token in the march to be like you. Nothing reserved for us few who love the way our land was created. Undisturbed, God has anticipated if only one corner of the earth be given, where I in peace as an Indian may live in, split rock, you are the testimony true of times so long past, never to be new. Wow, that is so powerful. <laughs> yeah, I think of that, 1977, you know, I was, I was nine years old and I had no idea that my mother was a poet. <laughs> she was writing these wonderful things. One of the uh, things, oh, sorry. 
No, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say one of the things that is uh, very lovely to me is that rhythmically she brings in concrete imagery. So while she is introducing very powerful ideas, you know, of of, uh, progress being sufficient and uh, brother against brother, uh, after so many lines, she brings in cool breezes, gulls, and then she moves back to these deep ideas of of values and comprehension and and, uh, daring to question things. Um, and then there's there's active language um, in there and emotion, loving and ever cherishing. But then she goes right into, again, concrete imagery, children playing and folks coming to sit. And uh, what happens when we do this in our writing, it gives the reader a, a sort of a a little respite space from powerful ideas and then also visual or sensory language is nourishing so it gives us some imagery to focus on when we juxtapose those two things that acts like an engine that propels the energy of the poem forward so you don't feel like it's sort of flat and just sitting there um, and it's a very accomplished poem, really. I don't know if that's her early work or not, but it's a really accomplished poem. I love that feedback, Miko. Again, I just always appreciate how you can uh, help us to to understand poetry and all those, um, like how you said, a respite space from powerful ideas. I always learned so much from you. I know. I was just wondering if you if you taught any workshops or college classes. <laughs> I learned more just in this short conversation than I ever knew about poetry. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I um, did. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say that you are listening to Dawnland Signals on WERU FM. I'm your co-host Esther Ann, along with Maria Gerard. Dawnland Signals is a monthly talk show where we hold space for critical conversations of truth, healing, and change. Today, we're talking about poetry with two wonderful main poets, Miku Paul, Maliseet, and Penthia Burns, who is the Wabanaki Reach Board Co-Chair. And what, what were you going to say, Miku? Well, I, I when I first finished at Stone Coast, uh, 2010, I was teaching uh, at UNE at the Maine Women Writers Collection. But over time, I got busy, and I stopped teaching there. Uh, I really did enjoy it. I was an adjunct. um, But it's funny you would ask if I'm going to be doing any teaching anymore because the current director of Maine Writers and Publishers Alliance is an old friend. I brought him onto a panel at AWP many years ago, And, you know, we all know if you know folks long enough, eventually, uh, you know, our lives expand and you end up with friends in pretty, you know, influential places. (laughs) So I have been offered support for that through Maine Writers and Publishers by Gibson Fay LeBlanc. 
And that is my intent to begin doing more teaching. I just had to tie up loose ends, really. And as I said, clear my uh, schedule of uh, other commitments uh, because I am shifting how I use my time. So I do want to do that. And just to let you know, Siobhan Sr., uh, Dr. Siobhan Sr., who wrote Don Lynn Voices and had been uh, instrumental in supporting Don Lynn Voices 2.0, our online journal, for years, has decided that it's time for an Indigenous person to take that over, and I'm going to be doing it. But we have to, you know, migrate the content, and I'm writing uh, grants right now for operational uh, expenses, and I'm very excited to be at the helm of that project because I really want to support and grow more of uh, Maine's Indigenous writers. I think we need to do that, um, and happily, I'm in a place where I can help make that happen. That's so exciting. News. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that you would say more about Donland Voices, uh, so and you did, and so um, I'm really pleased to hear that you will be at the helm or are at the helm. Is this a transition period? Are you um, at this point it in is. charge? Of- okay, it is a transition period, but I've gotten great support from Gibson and from the Maine Humanities Council, and uh, right now I'm sort of shopping for a new webmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, that can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do that tech um, myself, but I, I'm feeling good about it. Um, I uh, was one of the primary editors for our most recent um, issue. And for the first time ever, I just want to remind folks, we ran a writing contest for the youth and mm-hmm. awarded Prizes. And that was a, just a really wonderful step forward. And the uh, goal is to do that annually, um, focusing on maybe different uh, content or different generations of Maine Indigenous writers. But we want to run the contest each year. And great appreciation to Siobhan, who has, um, you know, moved this concept forward for so many years. Um, so... I really appreciate her tenacity and her work as well with Donland Voices. Did um did you have another piece that you'd like to share with us? Um, sure. Um, you know, I'm I'm working on I'm focused on the waters right now. And what I realized though is that some of the poems were stylistically so different. I had to split the project into two manuscripts. So this next poem is from a separate manuscript, and I'm writing about all of the water's denizens, all of the dynamics in water as an element. Um, And I'm hoping to get that manuscript finished uh, within the next six months. So this is called Etiquette for Beginners. When I weighed in, My giantess toes sink through yellow sand, fallen leaves, twigs in their dark decay. Here and there, a congregation of pebbles. Only water dwellers and lake denizens 
can truly know this place, their intimate universe, home. Below the surface horizon, minnows dart and shimmer, sensing mass, movement. They race from shapeless danger. Instinct, we name it. Nature guides us all, if we are willing. Her wisdom, brutal, beautiful. She asks only that we remember our place, the gifts we are given. And so these tiny fishes flee as my pale feet plow forward, harrow the soft bottom. For me, a less obvious destruction, nearly beyond my notice, but not theirs. Nidiamsu. Only one? That was beautiful. Really beautiful. It's like I never want him to stop. <laughs> when you say nip them so, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I figured I'd better say something. Because yes. I'm like meditative over here. Panthea, do you have another um, poem you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, I, I do. And um, as probably most people know, I have um, um, lived with a pack of dogs for lots of lots of years 20 something years and um in some ways i was thinking about this with your poem miku about that um i loved you said congregation of pebbles the sort of communion of um with different kinds of life beings with that kind of intimacy and so i have one that is um I tell people I co-wrote this with my dog, Jackman. Um, and so some of you may have heard this one before, but it um, it's such a tender, sweet um, uh, memory for me. So I'm going to share this one. It's called Tell Me a Secret. <clears throat> Jackman, my biggest dog, climbs onto my lap, wanting to be the only one for that moment. Tell me a secret, I whisper to this lanky brown dog. He kisses my cheek. That is common knowledge, I reply. Come on, tell me a secret. All the world is good, he begins. It's just that so many do not know this about themselves or the other. He paused and pondered, his blocky head resting atop my heart. Continuing his thoughts, he concluded, we who know carry the burden to bring this lesson forward. When we offer love, perhaps they will notice the hunger for love that lives inside. Perhaps they will recognize the love they have to give. Deep brown eyes were now looking into my own. It's all about the love, was his final reply. I paused and pondered, 
my thoughts resting within my heart. You are a wise one, I said at last to Jackman, my biggest dog. That is common knowledge, he replied. Come on, you tell me a secret. Thanks. It's them so <laughs> Wow, I love that. I have heard it before, and I've heard you recite it before, and I, I always love it. I can just see the whole the whole thing happening in my mm. mind. I can feel like what it was like um, to be in his presence in reading that. Nice. Now, you published a book, right, Penn? Oh, sorry, Miku. I was just wondering if Penthia has sent out the the poem. I have a a couple of times. I haven't done a lot of of submissions, um, but I've done some. I think it is an area that I would like to... um, to try doing. I have self-published a couple of um, compilations of material, but um, would really enjoy um, uh, doing that. I think it was, um, I can't remember the name of the publications that I sent it to, but yeah. Nice. Thank you so much. When you uh, ended with, um, tell me, tell me a secret i was waiting for the next tell me something tell me a piece of wisdom i was waiting for the next piece of wisdom to come (laughs) it left me wanting more i wanted to share with you a, a poem that i brought um to read and it is by zipsis who is a penobscot um artist and writer author poet storyteller who passed away recently um or it seems recently maybe it's been a while back um this this book is um prayers poems and pathways by sipsis which was um, published in 2007 and one of my favorites of her poems is called i am a human being so i'm going to read this to you all to share I am a human being. I come from the humus, the earth, from the intricate loving thought. I gave myself birth. No organization, no government, no body politics sponsored me. Yet here I walk and talk and sometimes sing the same melody. Oh, tis great the creation of earth, of you and of me. Yet what greater tune our earth will sing when we sing the very same medley? I am a human being. I come from the humus, the earth. Into pain and hunger and cold, I gave myself birth. No engines, no machines or windmills assisted me. Yet here I live and love and work on earth's poetic melody. Oh, yes, it is great, the creation of earth, of you and of me. Yet what larger work we have even those lullabies to free. I am a human being. I come from the humus, the earth. Around anguish, anger, and stirred up dirt, I gave myself birth. No president, no pope, no sitting bull appointed me. Yet here I shiver and shake and state a spiritual melody. Oh, great the creation of earth, 
of you and of me, yet greater understanding if simple our tune could be. I am a human being. I come from the humus, the earth. Inside me marks the cycle of time I have from birth. No clock, no watch, no sundial shadows my time. Yet here I march and eat and sleep to the same light chime. Oh, what greatness is the creation of the earth, of you and of me. Yet what greater time we all will have when measured equally. I am a human being. I come from the humus, the earth. Across the sad and desolate plain, I gave myself birth. No sinking ship or burning estate or falling star accompanied me. Yet here I speak of hope and love and sing with humility. Oh, tis great the creation, earth of you and of me. Yet what bigger smiles our face become when you love me. That's one of my favorites by Sipsis. That's beautiful. Really wonderful. She has a... Go ahead. I was just going to say she has a wonderful collection of poems in this Prayers, Poems, and Pathways book. Um, And also she had another publication called Molly Molasses and Me that had a lot of short stories and poems and prose. And I don't think that's in print anymore. I haven't been able to find a copy, but it's it didn't get reprinted, did it? Molly Molasses and Me or... I don't I think don't, so. No, I, I don't think so as well. Yeah. I don't have a copy of that. Yeah. Um, so I, one of the things I love about poetry, and having heard that once again, um, I'm reminded, is that poetry has the ability to uh, carry these very large ideas. And they can be... Uh, simple observations they can be intrapersonal like as in the way we communicate with ourselves within ourselves as human beings and they can be uh related to activism and protest uh but really in her poem what's extraordinary to me about it is how quickly she moves into what we call the meta territory mm-hmm. which meta so she's moving from a moment and from herself and from interpersonal relations with other human beings onto the biggest idea of all, which is the human question about our existence. It's about humanity. Um, and I think it's amazing that uh, she does that so comfortably, so effectively asking that really big question, why can't every single one of us just be valued equally? Mm -hmm. I love how she unpacked that um, and went deeper and deeper. I am a human. And like, and sometimes like each time you read that line, Maria, I felt like it pulled me more into where she was going. It was really, it was very visceral.
So um, any anyone else bring some more reading to do? Esther, did you bring something else to read? Um, I have. Did. We have about seven more minutes left together. I have it. It's it's not very long. So, and I think my mom wrote this. Uh, the date says twenty third of March two thousand four, and I think. It might be, it might have been an assignment. I don't know, but it's, I just love this little poem. So I'll read it. There's no title to it. I am from the beginning of time. I am from with in tune with rhyme. I am from the Dust Bowl depression. I am from that 20th century repression. I am from a person with invisible fences. I am from a family that loves to dances. I am from a European grandfather. I am from someone I would rather. I am from the Pollock, dead or alive. I am from Zibayag, even before age five. I am from the smoke of Catholic incense. I am from a word race, makes no sense. I am a woman with never forgetting genes. I am a Saturday night hot dog and beans. I am a great grandma, loving and long may I live. I am a silent warrior, give me no lip. I am quick and slow, vinegar and honey. I am expert poor, can live with no money. I am creative, imaginative, and perceptive. I am part of the Native Collective. I am pain, sorrow, joy rolled into one. I can dance, sing, write, nurture, and have fun. I am tired of forced poetry. I am scared of sound and hokey. I am patient, impatient, and weird. I am quicksilver, and my hair is old. I am pen, paper, ink, eraser, and dictionary. Beautiful. I got to clap for that one. I love that. I just love that. You know, that, that structure, that poem is one of the, um, one of the techniques uh, used with newer writers as well, but it's obvious that she has taken it and, you know, that that's very accomplished but the I am from is a wonderful way to directly, but pretty gently access what is powerful within us. Uh, and I know Vicki Akins used that with the youth and the Wabanaki Writers Project to, um, to great uh, effect. And I have some of those poems. Um, and the kids also wrote haikus which is pretty, pretty neat. I think that we need to uh, both foster the, uh, you know, our older Wabanaki writers that are uh, already producing, but also remember that we need to grow those writers from an earlier age and, and support them um, so that, we can have more and more of our ideas and our works and our thoughts out there in the literary world, because we have to, we have to help build the indigenous literary canon. And we're, we're part of that. Absolutely. And I have so many ideas swirling in my head just from <laughs> having this conversation with um, you both. I have to admit, I really love the Saturday night hot dogs and beans. I could so relate to that. <laughs> I love the thing about income. Yeah, expert poor. Yeah, that was <laughs> I grew up, we grew up expert poor too. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. 
Well, it's hard to believe our hour is um, coming to a close here. Yes, any, any final thoughts, any final words? We got about three more minutes together. I just want to encourage anyone, anyone at all out there, our Wabanaki writers, folks in the community, um, to, to write. And it doesn't need to be a poem. Um, it can be prose or oratory. We gave an award away this year to someone who wrote uh, actually very articulately about uh, a political situation. Um, and it was very fine writing. And you can contact me, uh, just my name, mikupal at gmail.com. If you want to submit, I am always accepting submissions in order to build for our next coming issue, which we hope to have in place by June. Um, so I just want to put that out there to, to people. Don Lynn Voices 2.0 will be back bigger and better than ever. Mm. Awesome. Can't wait. That's exciting. Penthia, any closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I just would say one of the things that I, when thinking about this, I like uh, poetry, like prayer to me, um, I used to think of them as expressions, but they're also like an act of listening and internally and externally listening with my eyes and ears. And um, so that it is about relationship um, across all of that. And um I think all these ways, I used to think it was written word and, but hearing poetry read has been such a beautiful, beautiful experience that, um, at first surprised me and now is something that I just love. So thank you for letting me be with you today for this conversation. Thank you, uh, Miku Paul, Penthia Burns. Uh, thank you to the listeners for joining us on Dawnland Signals. And as always, to our volunteer technician, Jeffrey Hodgkiss, for his assistance. And be sure to join us every third Thursday of the month for more Dawnland Signals and more conversations of truth, healing, and change. Stay tuned for more great programming here on WERU-FM. Upchurch. Upchurch, Gnomio. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Green Store in Belfast, helping to support Community Solar and Sierra Club Maine. Details at greenstore.com. You're listening to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill and on the web at WERU.org. Welcome to 2021 Talks, where we're following our democracy in historic times. Any interest that you're paying on a loan will be increased if, in fact, we did not lift the debt ceiling. The House of Representatives voted early Wednesday morning to bump the nation's debt limit to nearly $31 trillion. The measure passed 221 to 209 and now goes to President Joe Biden for his signature. Politico reports the move, which increased the debt limit by $2.5 trillion, will carry the U.S. into 2023 without the need to raise the borrowing cap further. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said if the measure had failed, the U.S. could have defaulted on its loans, resulting in widespread economic fallout. Even the discussion of it a few years ago lowered our credit rating, the United States credit rating, and that 
was not a good thing for our economy. Meanwhile, Congress is working on other items on its holiday to-do list, including the Build Back Better framework, which Pelosi says she's hopeful will get through both chambers by year's end. But Republicans have many reservations about the program. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina says the complexities in the framework's child care provisions would drive up costs and limit options for families. This is literally an attempt to fundamentally transform what it means